Welcome back, everybody, to Earning Their Stripes. It's been a while since we've talked, uh, but we're back and we're ready for a little bit of an off-season preview here. It's good to talk with everybody again. We're excited to uh, be back and talking Marlins baseball. It's been a while since we've done it, um, but the off-season is really starting to kick into high gear here in the next week, we, uh, couple weeks or so with the Rule 5 draft coming up and free agency slowly be- beginning. Uh, so the hot stove is heating up, so we're here to start helping you guys, uh, guide you guys through it. Uh, joining me today, as always, is Ian Smith, and we've got a new member of the uh, podcast today, a new member of Fish Stripes, coming over to us from uh, Astros territory. Bit of an outsider from the Marlins organization, but we're really excited to get an outsider's perspective on the organization uh, he knows a ton about it. I've talked to him. He's really excited about what the Marlins are doing here, and we're really excited to have him. So we just want to welcome in Spencer Morris. Spencer, tell us a little bit about your background, where you come from, and how you ended up here, man. Sure, yeah. I'm Spencer. I'm originally from Houston, Texas. Uh, I've been following minor league baseball, MLB draft for about seven, eight years now. Um, prospects just kind of league-wide. And over the past kind of year or so, year plus since the new uh, front office has been in place in Miami, I've just gotten really interested in what they're doing as an organization, think they're on a good path, and uh, I'm excited to follow it closely. Well, we're excited to have you here, man, and we're excited to get your, uh, like I said, your perspective from, you know, not really having a big Marlins background, but kind of bring somebody else in to take, give more of a national perspective about what the Marlins are doing and just how big the things going on here are. So we'll go national here and talk about a bit of a move that the Marlins are making to get the show started. And uh, as We've unfortunately mentioned on the show before the New Orleans baby cakes are no more uh, going into the 2020 season. One of the best names, if not the best uh, name in minor league baseball, Uh, the organization is moving its operations from New Orleans to Wichita. And the name was recently announced for the new Wichita affiliate. It will still be the AAA affiliate of the Miami Marlins, and they will be the Wichita wind surge. I'm interested Ian, better or worse than the baby cakes? I'm going to say worse. I mean, you can't really get worse than the baby cakes, but it was so <laughs> bad that it was good. And uh-huh. I got, I've gotten, I've grown to love it over the last couple of years. So the switch to Wichita Wind Surge is going to be new for me, but I'm going to say worse as of right now. Spencer, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the baby cakes are a tough act to follow for sure, but uh, I do like the logo. I've been in the market for a new minor league cap, so maybe I'll go that direction. The logo is pretty cool. I thought the uniform, I thought they did a pretty good job with the uniforms. The name was just, I feel like the name's kind of a dud. Like, does, surge. doesn't really roll off the tongue. Not like baby cakes. Nothing was going to, you know, we had the jumbo shrimp and the baby cakes. It was so good. We had two of the best ones. But uh, we're we're excited about uh, what's going on in Wichita, and and obviously some of the bigger names in the Moreland system will be there uh, this year. So it'll be interesting to follow what's going on in a new market, see how the market uh, handles having a team, and whether it really takes off in Wichita or not. But we're definitely excited about that. And let's get to let's just jump right into it, talking about some of the guys that we've talked about all year that we'll talk about all next year that will be in Wichita and around in Jacksonville and Jupiter and elsewhere. Um, one of the big 
moves of the one of the big parts of the offseason is coming up very soon. Uh, 40 man rosters have to be set by Wednesday. This is uh, to protect guys against the Rule 5 draft. Um, so, first of all, Ian, I'm going to go to you here. Give a little bit of a background on the Rule 5 draft and the kind of situation the Marlins find themselves in right now. Well, Rule 5 draft is kind of like. Um, so teams don't overstock on prospects after four years of service time being an 18 year old, excuse me, being an 18 year old with five years of service time, you get me eligible for the rule five draft, or you have to be on the 40 man roster. Uh, the Marlins are in a position this year where they have a bunch of guys that are eligible for the 40 man roster. Speaking of Wichita wind surge, two guys that are front front man, the rotation will be Sixto Sanchez and Edward Cabrera. Both guys will be eligible for the rule five draft this year. <clears throat> I don't think that'll be eligible. Come to that. I don't think they'll be added to come tomorrow to, to the 40 man roster, along with guys like jazz Chisholm, Nick Nider, Luan Diaz. And I think Humberto Mejia maybe as well. Mm-hmm. The names are probably 15, 20 deep. You got guys like Bryson Brigman, Will Stewart, Dustin Beggs, Stone Garrett, <clears throat> Alberto Guerrero, Tommy Efield, Mackenzie Mills. There's tons of guys that are eligible for the Rule 5 this year. But Miami's 40-man roster is currently sitting at 35 guys, and I really see them maybe maybe locking down five or six guys tomorrow and letting the rest of the guys be eligible for up for the draft. Spencer, what are your thoughts on on the guys that are sitting there? And I mean, there are obvious ones that they have to lock up, but how, how do you think the Marlins go about making this kind of space? Or do you think that we see any moves to make more space or what do you kind of see from the way this is setting up? Uh, my impression is that after those first five names, Sanchez, Cabrera, Chisholm, Nader, and Diaz, they're probably safe from any of these other guys being selected, at least in the major league phase. And it's fairly straightforward to protect somebody from the minor league phase. So uh, I would expect, I, I do agree that I think Mejia would probably be the most likely of mm-hmm. any of the other names to get picked up. Um, mm-hmm. I think Stone Garrett is another guy who could potentially have a major league future within the not too distant future. It's not a ton of upside. Um, mm-hmm. But that's another guy. It, were he to be exposed to the minor league phase, I definitely think he'd get picked up. Um, potential platoon bet there. Uh, but I think their their decisions overall are pretty easy. They're going to protect those five top guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they they should be able to come out of it unscathed, even if they decide not to protect anybody from the rest of that group. So Ian, how how if if the Marlins feel unsafe about a guy like Humberto Mejia or a Will Stewart or somebody else on this list that you know it's one of the names that we talk about a lot and might catch the eye of you know another organization, how can they go about making space and do you see them making more space than just the five spots that currently sit on the roster open on the roster? Yeah, I think they have a few guys currently on the forty man roster that are eligible to be non tendered. There's a few guys like JT Riddle. Uh, Tehran Guerrero is currently throwing in Dominican Republic right now. Wei-Yan Chen might still be released. Brian Moran and Tyler Kenny. There's a few guys that I really don't think would be on the Marlins 40-man roster next year. Mm-hmm. So, Besides the five guys that we've been talking about being saved, really like Humberto Mejia would literally be the, the last guy I think Marlins would take a chance on last year. It would be mm-hmm. something like, <clears throat> like they did with 
Jordan Jordan Holloway this past year, adding him to the forty man roster. Mm-hmm. He's had great stuff. He's only being high high A baseball, but I think he'd be picked up if he was eligible for the rule five. So I think somebody they're gonna really look hard on will be him. But mm-hmm. out of those five guys, I think the most eligible guy to be on tender would be JT Riddle, just mm-hmm. for the depth of the position and what we have coming forward in the next year. So. I was just going to say that I, I think you could non-tender Riddle and Chen without really thinking twice about it. Um, and then if you potentially leave yourself a little bit of breathing room under 40, then you're free to make a selection yourself in the rule five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely think that, you know, two, I mean, two of those guys, like this Chen nightmare has to end eventually. You know what I mean? It's been Marlins fans have been wanting it for so long. So this seems like an easy way out of it. So you know, who who are the next guys, would you say, Ian, that, you know, if this gets down to 33-32, who's next being selected? Or do the Marlins leave that open for Rule 5s or for other guys that they feel uh, need to be added to the 40-man, you know, come uh, regular season time? I, I think they'll leave themselves. I think they'll ultimately go into the meat of the offseason with probably 36, 37 names on the 40-man mm-hmm. roster. Um mm-hmm. I think they'll probably look at maybe one round of the rule five at anything. There's not, there's not too many names that I think Miami would add to their 40 man roster right now that they feel like Mm -hmm. can make a major league impact other than maybe Mm -hmm. a Roberto Ramos from the Rockies organization. He's a big left-handed first baseman that they've looked at the last few years. Um, I think they're going to open themselves up to trades in the off season and free agents, free agent acquisitions. So Mm -hmm. I think, Going going forward, I don't think they'd really fill those spots with prospects. I think they'd take the chance in the draft mm-hmm. with them and really just go forward with the offseason. Spencer, any Rule 5 guys uh, from other organizations that catch your eye as guys that the Marlins could possibly take a flyer on or that they you believe they should take a flyer on in terms of the way the roster sets up this year? Well, we'll have to see who ends up actually being protected. Um mm-hmm. Of the guys that sound like they're definitely not going to be protected, there's nobody that really stands out as like a home run, like I really think that this guy could contribute in the major leagues in a real way next year type of player. Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some names that are certainly interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. Brady Aiken is probably going to be exposed if uh, you believe in miracles. Mm-hmm. Um, Wander Javier is a guy who is like not that far removed from being a consensus top 100 prospect, um, but he also hasn't played above a ball. And uh, when he did last year, he hit very poorly. Um, so there are players of that kind of lottery ticket variety that sound like they'll be out there. Um, but I think if Anybody is going to really stand out as kind of somebody you definitely want to take a chance on if you're picking at the top of the Rule 5. It's going to be somebody who's kind of a surprise non-protection from mm-hmm. another organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's the best kind of route is just somebody that you're like, how the, how the hell did this guy end up there? You know what I mean? And I think you make a good point, Ian, about Ramos. The Marlins need some kind of option at first base. They need to figure out something at first base, I feel like. I mean, we'll talk about Lewin later, but he's, you know, still got maybe another year before he's at the at the major league level. So I think that's a good I don't um, know, man. Lewin's looking like he might yeah. make his way in he, there. He's looking, he's looking, you know, it, I, I don't know I, if it'll be September. I don't know if it'll be earlier, yeah. but he had a good winter. I was uh, gonna he had say a really that. nice winter. 
Yeah, he's, I, think he's breaking. That, I think that Lewin could be maybe a July-August call-up this year mm-hmm. if, if everything goes according to plan. Um, he really I had guess. one down year, and he was out of shape. Yeah. He was really just uh-huh. he was out of it the whole year. So I think if he keeps being and locked he, in the way he is he right fell. now. They let him fall off the map quick because of that year, you know. I mean, oh, yeah, for sure. Fell down. They have, they have so much depth at the position now. There, yeah. So going forward, they're fine, but losing him wasn't as big as issue yeah. as if you go to losing our system right now. So another way that you know we talk about that first base void that the Marlins kind of need to fill or or are going to probably have to get creative with before Lewin makes it up, and and one of those routes that people have talked about is free agency now. Jose Bray was always kind of a pipe dream that our boy Danny talked about, and it was something that was out there, but he took his qualifying offer with the White Sox, so he'll be resigning. So now the Marlins have to kind of get creative just to make a payroll. They say they want to increase payroll this year, and, and they obviously want to be more competitive this year and start winning some some games this year. So, uh, Spencer, I'm going to go to you first on this. Some some free agency possibilities for the Marlins. Give me one or two that really catch your eye that could be a good possibility for them this year. Sure, yeah. I think um, for a team in the Marlins position, you want to mostly be looking for guys that you can potentially flip uh, in free agency and get yourself mm-hmm. some assets that can help you out when you're competitive. Um, so to that end, I think that Justin Smoke uh, is a guy I'd look at when we're talking about first baseman. He had a really poor year last year, but prior to that, he was on a solid run of consistent offensive performance. He's getting older, but he's not too old yet, and I think you take a shot on him on a short deal, and he rebounds from where he was last year. Uh, Mm -hmm. People definitely have contending clubs interested down the stretch in picking up a bat like that if if he's able to get it going. Mm -hmm. Ian, what... Who who do you see here as a good option for the Marlins? I mean, I agree. I agree with Spencer with Justin Smoke. I think he's been mentioned a few mm-hmm. times by a few different guys. I think they're definitely going to need to add a left-handed bat, whether it's in a trade or free agency. If we're going to do it mm-hmm. in free agency, Corey Dickerson has been a guy who's been on my mind <clears throat> for a while. He's been injured the last few seasons, but super under underrated as a player. And we were mm-hmm. talking about first basemen that are out of the box. Yoshitomo. I can't want to butcher his last name here, but uh, watching videos on this guy and really seeing what this dude can do with the bat is pretty scary. Uh, he's a little limited defensively, but what Miami needs is a strong arm, maybe in right some days and a first baseman, and um, that's what he can give you. He's only 27. I kind of expect him to go somewhere with a baseball history and that he can win a lot, qu- a lot quicker, but he's going to be a pipe dream that I'm always going to look at. And another guy who can be non-tendered still in the next coming weeks is CJ Crone. Um, they have till December second to tender him. I think that's a possibility in, in Minnesota. <clears throat> I wouldn't mind signing him on a year year or two deal, bringing him to Miami, <clears throat> bring him back with James Rosen, Rousen, and um, that's a couple of guys that I would think of at first base and outfield. So before I just want to, but we're going to get to the big options in a second. But Spencer, I want you to. T- uh, just ex- go through the process of how the Marlins would sign this Yoshitomo. Su- I want to say Susugo. I don't really know how to say it, so we'll just call him Yoshi for now. Um, explain the process of how the Marlins could go about this. He's a Japanese free agent that is uh, being posted this year. Explain the process of how the Marlins would do this and what you what kind of outlook you think this would have for the Marlins if they were to make this kind of move. 
Um, well, the posting system changed up recently, but the essence of it is that um, a player is made available uh, to be bid on, so to speak, um, mm -hmm. by major league teams. And then the, the winner uh, of that uh, bid is, would then pay a fee uh, to mm -hmm. his club in Japan. Um, under the new posting system, the player has a lot more uh, say over where they go. So it's more like mm -hmm. a typical free agency negotiation at this point. Mm -hmm. um, Sutsugo is, is interesting. I haven't watched him enough to have a good idea of where he fits exactly on the defensive spectrum. But mm -hmm. fr from watching him hit, I definitely think he has a major league bat. Um, mm -hmm. Good, like definitely serious raw power. Good bat speed. Looks like a guy who who can who can hit for power at at the highest level. Um, ideally, he's he's an everyday corner outfielder, um, mm -hmm. but potentially he can play first. Uh, he might fit a little bit better on an AL club if. Uh, his mm -hmm. if his defense ends up being a little bit subpar, but in the mm -hmm. batter's box, definitely an impressive left left-handed power bat. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he's well worth taking a look at for just about anybody. Uh, Ian, are the you know that sound you know that process usually involves a lot of money. Do you think the Marlins are ready to make this kind of big money move for a guy like this? And considering the outfield depth that the Marlins have and with Lewin Diaz lurking and in all signs pointing to him being, you know, the first baseman in the future. Do you think this is a move, the, a risk worth taking for the Marlins right now? Uh, depending on the deal, I think it could be, um, he could still uh, be a higher upside than a Lewin Diaz, even at his position, his, his track record presents itself. Doesn't, you don't really know what you're going to get out of this guy so far. Uh, depending on deal, I think Miami could, be in talks. I don't ultimately think he'll end up being being in Miami, mm -hmm. but I think mm -hmm. they'll go into talks with him at the beginning stages, just with like they're going to do with anybody. Um, but no, I do not think they're going to spend the money to get mm -hmm. him this year. So speaking of spending big money, one we we have to address this because this is you know the big hot rumor out there right now. The big money move that the Marlins are rumored to possibly be looking considering, not necessarily really going hard after, is Nicholas Castellanos. He obviously got traded to the Cubs uh, midseason. He was tremendous. I watched him a bunch, and he was a lot of fun to watch. And the Cubbies really loved him, and the fan base really loved him. So it's a possibility that he could end up back there. But he's also a Miami boy, and he's the kind of uh, signing that it seems the Marlins could be interested in making to really increase the payroll and get competitive out on the field. Uh, Ian, I'm going to go back to you here. Castellanos, a good option. What kind of option do you think he is for the Marlins here, and do you think it's realistic? I mean, with options in the outfield this year in free agency, Castellanos is definitely by far the best option in my eyes. Doesn't cost a draft definitely. pick. Can be a, can be attainable for not the maybe sixty million dollars for three years, and mm -hmm. um, I think he'd be a great pickup for any team. Again, he's a little bit limited defensively, but I think he's a guy who, if you want to go that route, can be trans can be translated to first base eventually as his career blossoms. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's gonna get you forty doubles a year. He's gonna hit twenty home mm -hmm. runs. He's a two eighty guy. I mean, he's he's definitely the type of player you want to add. But again, Miami's not gonna spend the money for Cassianos this offseason. I've yeah. heard people close to me that they say there's not a chance he ends up in Miami. Um, mm -hmm. He's gonna want to win again. He's twenty seven years old. He's yeah, probably the best year of his career, and he's gonna have a bunch of people that want to sign him. 
it's going to take a lot of money to get him to Miami. And I don't think they're going to be on one of, be in a bidding war this offseason with teams mm-hmm. over Nick Castellanos when we're going to lose 90 to 100 games in 2020. Yeah. No, so, I'm with you on that. It's, it's a bit of a pipe dream, I think, you know? Yeah, and it's something that, of course, teams, I mean, our Miami fans are going to want to talk about because he's a Miami kid. He's a free agent. People, All they've been hearing is the team's going to spend money, but I just don't think they're going to spend money like 20. that. They're going to spend money, $25, $30 million this offseason, but it's not going to be that way. Spencer, one guy I want to ask you about because I think this could be a good option for the Marlins, and I haven't heard his name brought up, is Cole Calhoun. Just pretty solid hitter, a guy that can contribute and make the product a little bit better on the field, a little bit more exciting. What do you think of the prospects of, of him, of, of Miami, going after a guy like this? I think he's proven he's a solid uh, major league outfielder who mm-hmm. you can hand uh, a, a full-time starting role um, he's not really outstanding in any particular aspect of the game. He, I, I don't see him being much more than like a one, two win guy, uh, going mm-hmm. forward. But if you're looking for somebody to give you an adequate, uh, corner outfielder, I think he's worth mm-hmm. looking at. Um, but I, I don't know that I'd make him a high priority. Per mm-hmm. se. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I think he's just kind of the guy like it, it's not like Granderson who was really at the tail end of his career, but it's just a guy that can just be a veteran and just kind of contribute to the clubhouse a little bit. And, you know, eventually, like we have to have some kind of production on the field. So I just thought, you know, there's a guy that, like you said, just a solid one or two win player. Just can I kind of contribute to the clubhouse more so than on the field, but just kind of bring a little bit of something to the field every day. And, and, uh, but at the end of it all, who, who, if the Marlins sign one free agent this off season, I just need the name. If they sign one free agent this off season, it is Spencer. And then Ian, I want to hear from you guys. I think I'll stick with smoke. Okay. Ian. Obviously, uh, I'm gonna say obviously Garcia. Okay, and, and we, didn't wh- about him. we didn't even talk about him free agency, but I've yeah, no, no, hit hit, hit me with it. No, yeah, I've heard his name a lot. I heard he's been in talks already with the Marlins, so I think mm-hmm. uh, obviously that will be a name that's gonna come up a lot over the next few weeks. And I think what does he what does he contribute to the Marlins organization that you like, Ian? Uh, I think he just he's a player who just brings it every day. He um, he can mm-hmm. play right field every day next year for the Marlins. Uh, you can give Brian Anderson third base and let him stay there. He he's he's probably six four two fifteen. I think he's in like the top twenty five percentile in, in sprint speed in the MLB. He brings big power. He's a right handed bat. Miami needs tons of left handers, but mm-hmm. he, it's a he's a player that can make the lineup better. He can be he can be slatting that in that cleanup spot, and you can just let him work. Um, he had a big year. He's had a couple down years, but he's still only 28 years old. I think you can get him on a two-year deal. And he's somebody you're going to hear about a lot going forward with Miami. He's got Garcia set up 0-2, and Garcia sends one high in the air to deep center field. And that one is way out of wow. here. Oh, goodness. Up and over the batter's eye for Abisail Garcia. And it's one nothing race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that move. Like you said, just somebody just to come in and, and kind of contribute on the field a little bit. But uh, it, it'll definitely be interesting to see how the Marlins go about free agency this year. I definitely think they spend some money, at least if not 
you know, at the plate, which I imagine they will in the bullpen. They got to fill out a bullpen. They got to fill out a roster. And they did say that they'll increase the payroll this year. So I expect it. But another way that the Marlins could go about this, and Ian, this is one that you've been discussing a lot. I've seen you all over Twitter about it. So uh, let's just let's just attack it right now. Um, the trade scenario for the Marlins. It it's not too early to make to go make a splash. Uh, I th- I think I think this could be a time where they can make a splash with all things mm-hmm. considering going forward. To not talk about the one guy that we've talked about so far, just to talk about shade, trades in general. Uh, the Miami is is stocked a, a farm system up that's pretty preloaded one through twenty. Um, they can make some deals with some of those guys. They have three picks going into this year's draft. The first one being the third pick overall. Um, Miami has <clears throat> extremely deep pitching pitching prospects going forward, and this is an extremely deep pitching draft. Um, I think if they want to make a move this year, if that's the route they want to go, it wouldn't be a bad decision. Uh, team, I mean, a lot of fans are going to hug prospects right now because they haven't seen our prospect list like this in a long time. And I'm one of those mm-hmm. people. I don't want to see half these guys go, but if it's to land a big name or a guy who's got four years of control, who can be a big name for this team for then going forward into the years more winning, then why not do it? I mean, mm-hmm. the market seems like it's going to present itself pretty quickly. And I think Miami can make it, make a splash. <laughs> So Spencer, I want to get I want to get your perspective on this because you're not going to prospect hug because you're outside the organization. You know, obviously for me and Ian and all the other Marlins fans out there, they're going to want to hug on, you know, grab latch on to Blade and to uh, Sixto and to Eddie. You know, I don't think Sixto goes anywhere necessarily, but some of these other guys that might be more more vulnerable to a trade. So I want to get your opinion. Is it too early for the Marlins to make this kind of deal? Well, I think as long as you're making a move for a guy who has uh, plenty of control, I mm-hmm. I think there's never really a bad time to do that if you if the right deal mm-hmm. presents itself. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't go. I don't think I would go under uh, four years of control. Cer- certainly not under three. But mm-hmm. um, if you can give yourself that nice long window to either field a competitive team while they're still on that uh, contract or uh, extend them before they hit free agency. Uh, mm-hmm. That's well worth it pretty much no matter where you are in your competitive window, unless you're just at the very outset of a rebuild. And that's that's not where the Marlins are anymore. Mm-hmm. So Ian, uh, one guy that I've seen, you know, we've seen thrown around, and I think you talked about this in the article that you wrote, um, and, and and our buddy Mish was talking about this, is David Peralta. Give me a little background on Peralta, and then um, give me a kind of package that you think the Marlins would have to give up and, and what that kind of deal would do for the Marlins system. David Peralta would be a instant veteran presence in the Marlins system. Uh, he's a left-handed bat with pop. He had a down 2019, but the rest of his career, he's been extremely solid. He's an underrated player. He's a Miami guy as well. Mm-hmm. And I think he would fit in really well in the system. He's only, he's an expiring contract though. And he, the <clears throat> Diamondbacks will be losing a competitive balance pick by dealing him. But He's got a 40, he had a 40% hard hit rate last year. He's got a 90, 90.1 average exit velocity. He hits the ball hard. <clears throat> he hits the ball hard from the left side. The package would be, I feel like, would be a lot steeper 
than fans would like, but I think it would only be dealt. He'd only be dealt for if a extension was in place. <coughs> he's 32 years old. He could ride out this roster for the next few years, 33, 35, two or three year deal. He, he could do that. Or if not, we deal him next year or offer him a qualifying deal and the points get a competitive balance pick next year. If he doesn't sign, it's kind of a risk reward with Peralta, but I think it could be a risk that Miami would be willing to take. So you mentioned a package being kind of steep. What what does it look like, and why would that be worth it for the Marlins to do? Uh, the package that I think we had came up with, me and Louis Davila, was uh, I believe Monte Harrison. Ooh. I know Harold <laughs> Ramirez and uh-huh. Roberto Mejia. Uh huh. This this package sounds steep <clears throat> because of the depth in the outfield that Miami is going forward. <clears throat> it could be useful to do something like this with, um, with Leday and Jesus Sanchez not very far behind and depth mm-hmm. in center field coming. Peralta could be a player who can hold down that position for the next few years. Losing somebody like Monta Harrison would be terrible, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it's going to take a first-round talent to lead this lead this um, trade because Arizona's losing a player who's going to give you 125, yeah. 50 games every year and a first-round competitive balance pick. So, mm-hmm. We're losing a lot in this deal, so Miami's going to be willing to give up a good amount. Spencer, Peralta, a deal you would make and and at that price? Uh, Peralta, I think if you're looking for a veteran presence type of guy who can also be a short-term contributor, Peralta is an ideal choice to fill that type of role. He's Mm -hmm. a guy who has really improved uh, throughout his career consistently, uh, plays very hard, He's uh, good on both sides of the ball. I think he would make a great locker room presence, and that's something that you do want to have when you have lots of young players coming up to the majors each year. Um, Mm -hmm. I would be hesitant to trade Monte Harrison for a player like that. That's Mm -hmm. not to say I'm the biggest Monte Harrison fan in the world or Mm -hmm. that I wouldn't wouldn't trade him in any deal, but Uh I I think when, when you're talking about a guy who has tools like that, um, there's a chance that he hits another gear and his his stock could could be considerably higher uh, midway through next season potentially than it is now. And I I prefer not to trade a prospect when I think they they might have another level in the tank. Um, yeah, and I could definitely. You, you, you know, you said you said you're not the biggest Monte Anderson fan in the world, and you know. I might be, you know what I mean. So for me, yeah. hearing Mo- hearing Monte's name come up kind of kind of scares the shit out of me, to be honest with you. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, Ian, is this really a price where the Marlins are right now? That the uh, I, mean, bang? I, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily, you know, I don't know if you think this would be something the Marlins would do, or if you think this is something the Marlins should do. But is you know, is it is it really worth that price for a thirty two year old outfielder? Depending on if they have an extension deal set up yeah. where if he's, mm-hmm. if he's trade an extension signed, then I'm all for it. I'm, I'm all in agreement with Spencer that you, you lose something special or you have the potential to lose something special in Monte Harrison. Mm-hmm. He's, you can't teach tools and he's got every tool in the book. And, but he, he's put it together. He hasn't given me that full year of all these mm-hmm. tools now. And it's been four years, four years yeah. in the system and for yeah. two teams. Uh, he's a freak. Uh, give him that. He can do these things that, that nobody can do on the field. Mm-hmm. 
but he's going to have to put it all together. And to, to lose that player, to get a gold glove outfielder who can give you 25 homers mm-hmm. and play an everyday left field, it could be worth it. I mean, yeah. it, he'd be the best outfielder in the system. He could be a three or four win guy. Why is in Miami? If it's only for two or three years, I'll take that. Mm-hmm. We have the, the depth going forward. Losing a guy like Monte again, terrible. But you get a mm-hmm. 290, 346, 478 career hitter yeah. for the next four years in Miami. I think you're going to take that every day. No, you make you make a convincing argument there. You know, don't get me wrong. You definitely make a convincing argument. And uh, you know, eventually, like like you know, we keep saying the Marlins are going to have to make a move somewhere. You know, there's what you know. It feels like eight to somewhere between eight to ten guys in the outfield that, or you know, maybe like eight, five to eight guys in the outfield that we feel could be real legitimate contributors for this team. And there's only three outfield spots, so obviously some, you know, somebody's going to have to go somewhere. But I think a deal that I would be much more willing to let up Monte for, and this is just going to transition us right into where we were going, uh, is a guy, a, a, a huge name like a Mookie Betts or like a Francisco Lindor, who are both rumored to possibly be on the market this year. Um, This obviously, this deal does, you cannot make this deal unless you're guaranteed that Lindor or Betts um, are going to resign. You know, I'm just going to put that out there because I know both of you will say it um, when when I come to you guys about that. So obviously the Marlins aren't going to make this deal unless they feel confident that Frankie or Mookie will resign. So Ian, if they get the guarantee that one of these guys will resign if they come to Miami, um, is this a is is this a deal that the Marlins are ready to make to go out and get this high profile of a name? And obviously, it's going to take a haul. So, are, is is this a deal that the Marlins are ready to make, or is this the kind of deal that they make when they're in playoff contention and it's go time and ready to go for it? Uh, I'm torn on this one. As much as uh-huh. if Miami could make the package to get Lindor or Best right now, yes. But I think it's not even more so in the, with Miami being in contention right now is if they don't have a new TV deal yet. Mm-hmm. These these extensions are going to cost $300 million plus yep. either yep. way you look at it for either player. And they're not ready to hand that deal off this offseason. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they're going to take the risk of going a whole year with them to, see, to, to make a decision next year and not sign the extension. And yeah. Miami loses four top 10 guys for one year, one of these guys. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that's, that's worth it right now. Cause they're not going to spend 300 million this off season. So mm-hmm. as much as they could make this deal with the names they have in the system, I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to happen this year. Spencer, there's no doubt the Marlins have the firepower, but when would you make this kind of move? Would you make it now or would you make it down the road? Because eventually they're going to have to make it. They have to get a star player. So is this a move you make now or is this a move you make down the road? Well, I think probably the ideal window would be in in one to two years, uh, either next offseason or the following offseason. That mm-hmm. said, if I could make a deal for Francisco Lindor yeah. and I had the money available to sign him to an extension and he was willing to do that. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any problem with locking up a 26 year old Francisco Lindor. Yeah, um, me neither. <laughs> I think, I think the Marlins can get there while he's still in his prime years. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, there's obviously, there's a lot of prerequisites to, for them to get to that point. To, so what's, 
What's the argument, spent? Uh, and I'm going to go to Spencer here. What's the argument for making the trade now instead of trying to make the splash in the offseason and just hoping that you can convince him to sign with you whether he gets traded or whether he stays the year through with Cleveland? Um, well, I think, you know, if it a lot of what goes into it is going to be when the guy that you really want is available. That might not mm-hmm. be at the ideal time for where the organization is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely don't think that you can, you can make a deal without, without having a handshake agreement in place on, on a long term yeah. extension uh, for, for anybody. I think there's just too much risk uh, involved in that proposition. Ian, you had a couple guys that you wanted to talk about. Um, a little bit out of the box, might be a little cheaper than a Lindor or a Betts and might be a little more realistic than a Lindor and a Betts. So give me something real quick on Dahl, Mazzara, Marte, yeah, or Adam well, Fraser. I don't, think, and then- I don't think Dahl will be cheap. I think he's got potential to be available going into mm-hmm. this season. They're not going to be as competitive, I think, as they'd like going into the 2020 year. Mm-hmm. Um in Colorado, so I think David Dahl could be a could be a pick. He's got control. He's a little injury prone, which is kind of scary, but he's still young. He's a great left-handed bat. A guy like Nomar Mazzaro, nobody really thinks he's going to be dealt, but I don't know if they're going to have anywhere to play him next year in Texas. Uh, if they mm-hmm. if they start Joey Gallo in center, they're going to sign a right fielder. I don't think he's going to go into the year as a starting right fielder in Texas, so he could be available. Mm-hmm. I know people are talking about not being dealt going into a new stadium, but again, I don't think he's going to be have anywhere to play there. Um, mm-hmm. Those are two guys I really think could be able to get for Miami if they want to make a move like that. I think they're going to make moves this year to get better, to gain ten year ten wins on the season they had last year. I think. They're going to try to win seventy to eighty games next year, I believe. Mm-hmm. But it's going to take a lot, and I think a trade could be that could be possible. They have all these guys who I think could sweeten. Sweeten a deal right now. They're in the system that have not got any future in Miami's in Miami's future, honestly. So mm-hmm. I think they're going to make some moves this year. There's a couple guys. I want to say Starling Marte, but I don't think he's really going to come to Miami with the whole steroid background, Jeter, and all mm-hmm. that. Uh, Adam Frazier is another one from Pittsburgh. I'd really like to talk about if they go in a full rebuild out there. Mm-hmm. But those are just the guys. I think it's just going to be a lot busier, small. Mm-hmm. Transition transition offseason for the Marlins, but mm-hmm. I think some some moves are going to happen. Spencer, any uh, kind of off the radar trades that you think the Marlins should pursue? Something that they should go after to make this team just a little bit more competitive and, like Ian said, get over that seventy win threshold. Well, I mean, I think uh, a great area to look at that kind of attacks two different angles is always the relief market. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're able to find, if you're able to hit on value relievers at uh, on relatively cheap deals, they can contribute uh, to your big league team. And they can also bring back some pretty nice prospects at the deadline. It happens every year where teams bring in, you know, potential starting pitchers, potential. Yeah, I mean, sorry to cut you off, bad Spencer, but if we're going to just talk about that, I'll give you an immediate example with Nick Anderson last year. Yeah. <laughs> Miami yeah. Got, got us, got us Jesus Sanchez. Exactly. So that's that. I think when um, that's really the area I would attack, attack the most aggressively uh, mm-hmm. were I the Marlins um, because it'll, it'll help the on field product for one. 
and it could help you fill out the farm system even more a few months down the line. Yeah, I, I think 70 wins is, you know, in sight. I think they got to go for it. And I think they'll make the moves to go for it just because you don't want to have three years in a row where you're sitting in the top five. You don't want to have three years in a row. You got eventually you got to get the fans start coming back to the games, give them something a little more something to root for. You know what I mean? And and I think uh, and I think you guys are right that they have to go out and and not make a splash. I don't think you know. I said that I don't think it's time to go after a big you know Lindor bets type. But if they do, I think they should take full advantage. But um, you know, I, I they have to get a. I, I think they have to get above 70 wins this year. I mean, I've said, I said they're going to, I think they will. And I think a lot of these moves are going to be to kind of set the product up to be a little better and and have got, you know, these guys that are waiting in the wings, which is where we're going to go now, um, you know, have guys that are there in the locker room to help them when they get up and and ready to perform. And they've been performing this year, this uh, winter as well. And Ian, I want to go to you about this and then Spencer, I'll come to you for your opinion on these guys, because we haven't really heard you on these uh, prospects yet, because I want to get some of your opinions on the guys that the Marlins have in the system uh, as the new guy on the show. So um, Ian, let's, let's run through the port. There are three main guys and they're three of the biggest guys in the Marlins system right now that are playing in Puerto Rico, playing winter ball in Puerto Rico. You might've heard of them before Chisholm, (laughs) jazz Chisholm, Monte Harrison, and Isan. Ian, give me a little update on what these guys got going on this winter. Yeah. Well, Isan hasn't played yet, but he's, he's there. And, um, we just got jazz and Monte in their first couple games a few nights ago. And they've played, uh, they've already got five hits combined over their first two games. The real, the real winter hero so far is definitely Luis Diaz. He's played yep. games in Venezuela and Dominican Republic right now. He's hitting two seventy six, three thirty one, and four twenty two. He's got six doubles with three homers already. He's really had a great winter so far. He started to get hot to finish the, the regular season for the Marlin or for the Jumbo Shrimp and just close the year out with scorching. <clears throat> he's really excited to see this guy hitting right now. I think he's going to come into spring training with a bunch of confidence. And um, I think the way that Miami has built this system, the guys are just really seeming to get along better than I've seen recently going forward. Like you see yep. different guys spending time together this offseason that you just really haven't mm-hmm. seen before. And um, it's going to be exciting going forward. I know it's getting a little off track from the winter ball, but mm-hmm. just seeing it with Jazz and Monte Harrison have just got together already now and playing in Puerto mm-hmm. Rico together it was surprising to see. Awesome. It's that culture, man. That that culture is starting to get built. You know, it, it, you see it with like Nassim and Victor Mesa Jr., who were hanging out all year in, in in the GCL. You know, it's awesome. Like like you said, it really is awesome to see these guys come together. So so Spencer, uh, it's time for a little rookie grilling. Um, uh, I, I want to get your opinion on these guys right here. So three of the biggest names are playing in Puerto Rico right now, and we might as well just go right into it. So give me your take on jazz. I want to know what your thoughts were when the gallon trade came down and how you think jazz plays into the future of the Marlins organization. Uh, I love jazz. He was a guy that I had way up on my personal list, uh, coming into last season. Uh, obviously he struggled uh, a bit when he was in the Arizona organization last year, but I didn't really lose faith in him. He's not going to hit for a high average, but he does mm-hmm. not need to uh, by any means. He can has the physical ability to play multiple positions on the infield. 
I think shortstop is a position that he can handle just fine. Um, he has somewhere between plus and plus plus power. He gets to it in games. And I think, you know, he's going to be kind of that three true outcomes type of hitter. But I think he's going to give you good value on defense. Uh, he's going to draw walks and he's going to hit homers. And that should add mm-hmm. up to a, a pretty productive player. And and we always already got your take on Monte a little bit. You know, I could talk about Monte for hours, so we won't go there just now. But um, tell me what you – I know you mentioned that you really love Isan. We talked about this before uh, when we first started talking. So you really love Isan. What did you see from him when he came up to the big leagues that should have Marlins fans encouraged instead of discouraged by the batting average under 200? Well, I think uh, first and foremost, the thing that always stands out with him is the power um, that always shows up. He has legit above average major league power. He has a really strong approach at the plate too. Um, I think in his major league debut, his biggest issue is that he was just taking too many pitches. Uh, He looked very passive. Um, when I was able to to watch him at the big league level last year. And I think that as he gets a little more experience against the highest level of pitching, uh, he'll be able to find his pitch with more frequency. I think he's going to hit 260, 270 or so. And I think Mm -hmm. it's going to come with 20 to 30 homers. Um, And when that's coming from a guy who's playing up the middle, that's a, a really nice everyday player. All right, you know, I want I want your opinion about somebody in the off season that they had, um, a guy you've raved about all year. We've talked, we both loved him. We talked about him all year. Um, is obviously um, Gerard Encarnacion, and he went down to Arizona and he had a really nice fall. So, um, you know, he he was one of the candidates for me for organizational player of the year. I thought, you know, besides obviously you can't sell short what Isan did, but you know, I just want. What was encouraging about Gerard's fall and how does that play into where he you think he could be in in Jacksonville sometime next year? Oh, uh, I believe he'll start the year in Jacksonville next year. Interesting. Um, I, think Interesting. If, I think if there's somebody not named Ever Cambrera who had the best 2019 in the Marlins organization, it's it's Gerard Encarnacion. Um he really just learned how to handle the handle the batter's box for the first time in his career this year and he got to tap into his plus raw power. Um, he showed some real ability in the fall league with a couple of monster shots, including a grand slam in the championship game. <laughs> I think he had 16 RBIs, in 19 games. Um, he was hitting the ball hard. He played, he played all three positions in the outfield this year, something he's never done in his career. Uh, he really just showed abilities that you really didn't think he had. He had a really bad 2018 struck out bunch. I think he dropped his K rate this year by nine or 10 points. At wow. his highest level he's ever played at. He's only 22 years old, I believe. 23, excuse me. And um, he's really got a lot of potential in his bat, man. He's got a hose in right field. And I think he's going to really, they're really going to see what he can do next year in double A. He's going to be playing in a really good outfield, just like just like Jupiter's going to have a really good outfield. We got so many guys right now in these positions that are going to have to find somewhere to play next year. <clears throat> so I definitely think he's going to start the year in Jacksonville. Um, and I really have high hopes for this kid, man. He's yeah, got – if he's not traded in, in a big deal, I think he's got a real potential to be in right field in Miami or left field in Miami in the future. No, I'm with you. Spencer, I, I want to get your opinion on Herrar. Yeah, Encarnacion was definitely a guy that 
snuck up on me this past season. I, I would agree that he probably had the biggest up arrow of anybody in the in the Miami organization. I've seen a lot of people really excited about him. Uh, he stands out for a lot of reasons. Uh, he's a really big guy who can move at that size. The power is starting to show up in games. And I think, you know, you're looking at a guy who can who can have four average or better tools. So mm-hmm. that's uh, that's always a player you want in your system. So before we wrap this up, um, why not? Let's talk a little bit of draft because, Spencer, you mentioned you're such a big draft guy, and that's obviously a huge part of the Marlins' future uh, in this next year. Um, Give me something, just an overview of what we're looking at with this next draft. And the Marlins hold the third pick, so give me one or two targets that you think are a possibility for the Marlins, and then, Ian, you can go ahead after him. Well, I'll, I'll say if the draft were to be held today, uh, the Marlins would be in an outstanding position because I, most people I've read and the way I see it as well is um, there's a kind of a clear top three at the moment. Um, obviously, with the whole season still to play, more players can move into that in or out of that group. Um, but those guys at the top right now are Austin Martin at Vanderbilt, uh, Spencer Torkelson for Arizona State, and Emerson Hancock for Georgia. Um, Martin is an infielder who can project anywhere, second, third, short. Torkelson is a power-hitting first baseman, kind of this year's version of Andrew Vaughn, though a little bit different. And then um, Hancock is kind of your classic prototypical frontline starter, 6'4", mid to upper 90s fastball, and two off-speed pitches that uh, can show plus. Ian, go ahead, man. Oh, man, yeah. This this draft's going to be really fun going into this. I think uh, my my favorite player in the draft and the person who I ultimately think is going to go first overall is Austin Martin. I think he's going to really tap into his raw power this year, like a like a Blade Day did last year. Um, I think if he hits twenty home runs this year, he's going to go no, number one, no problem. I think he's got more defensive ability than Dansby Swanson com- coming out. Uh, they play the same position, but he's just a little bit better defensively, more at more positions. Uh, I think the third pick is going to ultimately come down to a pitcher for Miami. Uh, there's a couple guys there that I think they're really going to look at. Emerson Hancock, obviously being the first one, I think he's got obviously two or three ability going forward. He's got four good pitches that maybe can grade plus. Another guy I think they're going to really look at is Asa Lacey from Texas A&M. He's a big left-hander. He's got a great curve and slider, and he's played against top quality competition in the SEC his whole career, and they've went SEC heavy the last few years. Um, Those are two guys that are really on my mind. If they go the prep route, which I just think they won't at all, a couple guys on that list would be a Jordan Howard or a Pecro um, Armstrong. But um, other than that, I think it's going to be a college pitcher in the first round. It's extremely mm-hmm. heavy college pitcher draft. And I think that's what they're going to go with. I'm a torque guy. I'm a torque guy, but that's just because I'm so used to the Marlins needing power, but now all of a sudden they don't need power. You know what I mean? Yeah. Torque's got a lot of power. Um, I did still see torque making it to three. I mean, in any, in any uh-huh. instance. One uh, dark horse name that I would throw up there, too, um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, he's a Florida kid, is uh, Zach Veen. Yeah. He's a prep outfielder. This prep outfield class is unbelievably deep. Yeah, it's um, 
there's about six or seven guys I've seen people rate as the top prep outfielder in the class, and they're all uh, extremely impressive. Veen is the one that has stood out the most to me personally. Um, I think he's a high school kid that you can immediately project to have an above average hit tool, which right away is a pretty rare trait. Um, and on top of that, he's a plus runner and he should be able to grow into above average power too at six, four. So he's a guy who maybe he can break into that top three, uh, with a really strong spring. Yeah. He kind of reminds who's, me who's the between, uh, Kyle Tucker and Drew Waters. Who's the kid that reclassified with a really cool name? Blaze Jordan. Blaze Jordan. Yeah. I would love to have Wish a kid it, named Blaze in the. I would love to have a kid named Blaze in the system, but I think the Marlins aren't in a position to go prep yet. You know what I mean? Well, Jordan right now on a lot of like the scouting services boards is like more in the late first round range. Okay, uh-huh. uh, that's mostly a product of him being very maxed out physically and. Mm-hmm. In- like an 85% likely to be a first baseman on defense, mm-hmm. um, which is always a tough profile unless yeah, you sure. unless you have like huge numbers at a high level college like Andrew Vaughn did or like Torkelson has this year. Um, mm-hmm. That that can get teams to feel a little safer about you. The margin of error on a first baseman is just so uh, tiny that uh, teams are more cautious with those types just kind of by the virtue of profile but uh jordan's an an impressive hitter uh his swing is is definitely impressive he's got a ton of bat speed he's got very real present plus power um and he definitely checks the boxes that you want to see in a uh, potential corner slugger and now that he's reclassified he's actually young for the class when he projected Mm -hmm. to be old for the class next year so that helps him out a little Mm -hmm. bit too I'm excited about the draft, man. I'm just excited about it. I mean, you know, picking three again, it's another opportunity for the Marlins to go get a great player and a big name to add to the system. And yeah, I just think the, I think the college route is just best for them. You know, I'm an SEC guy through and through, and I would love to go back to back Vanderbilt, but you know, I, I, I just think who it's like best available. It's kind of like best player available in this situation. It's just, we filled the power void. Um, you know, we've kind of filled the first base spot. Maybe if you can get, if there's a third baseman that ends up there, you go and get him. But I just kind of think you're in a position to just kind of take, take the best player available at that spot. Absolutely. All right. So let's wrap this up here. And, and I want to do this by getting a, a bold prediction from each of you as we head into the, to the off season and maybe even for the Marlins next year. So Spencer, bold prediction. Uh, Connor Scott is a top 100 prospect one year from now. Interesting. Interesting. I'm Ian. With, I am with that. Uh, I'm, I'm here. High, man. I, I've been high on him. A lot of people are low on him, but yeah, he's got I was some, one of those. Yeah. He's got one of those people. Ability in him himself, man. He's got some yeah. stupid power. You can tap into and he's got some extremely plus speed that I've seen. Yeah. I like that pick. I, I was in, I was on that. You know, anti Scott wave. I kind of was like down on him a little bit, but he had a great year, undeniably. All right, Ian, give me a bold prediction right here, kid. I'm gonna stick on the top 100 route, and I believe Miami will have nine or ten top 100 by the end of next year at some point. I mean, Braxton Rogers have got to make it, right? They've got to be in at some point. Braxton Rogers have a chance. 
Scott has a chance. Devers, if Harar. Devers gets next year. Harar's yeah. got a chance. Meisner's got a chance. Oh my! God. Like it's yeah. It's, Meisner is a guy I'm really high on too. The third overall pick's gonna be probably an instant top 100. Like there's so many guys. That's seven right there. If you just add the third pick overall. All right, let's get crazy with it then. Since we're on the topic of prospect rankings, Peyton Burdick is a top fifteen, top ten to fifteen prospect in the Marlins system next year. Thoughts? He's gonna have to hit at this at a higher level. I don't, I can't, I can't call around Peyton Burdick yet. If he hits and great, we'll talk about it. But this kid looks like a baby trout when I've seen him in person. So I got high hopes for him rakes in per he raked in clinton i mean his ops was over 900 raked in clinton yeah My I point, mean, so what were you saying spencer i was gonna say i mean i think he the the potential is there for him to get to that range on the ranking certainly yeah. you think he starts in jupiter ian yeah absolutely i think yeah. the, the jupiter lineup going into next year is going to be him meisner and connor scott for sure in the outfit and harar and Harar, Baudet, and, and Jacksonville, yeah. Oh and then Triple A will probably start with Jesus. Um, I don't know who's going to play center because uh, Mags is out of options, so he'll be in Miami. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I think that's what you're looking at for Jupiter you, and Jacksonville. You think Monte's in the big leagues at the beginning of next season? Oh, excuse me, Monte will be in, be in Wichita yeah. as well. So it'll be Monte, Jesus, and then somebody in center. So. All right, boys. Well, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, Spencer, it was great having you on the show. We look forward to talking with you again. Ian, it's been a while, but it was great talking to you, man. And uh, looking forward to speaking throughout the offseason, hopefully. You know, it, it should it, it, it's lining up to be a big offseason for the Marlins, no doubt. So, um, you know, we'll talk soon. And and uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this pod. And, and, and like I said, we'll speak soon about all the happenings in the Marlins offseason. season.